and welcome to this edition of the Modern Times Podcast with our special five points. This is going to be five points on the border wall with John Guzon and Karen Weil. Hi, Karen. Hi. Hi, everybody out there. So, Karen, the border wall. Yes. You know, we talked about it last week. And mm-hmm. I kind of had an idea that maybe we had done this before. So, you know, we didn't talk about this before this podcast because we're kind of uh, didn't have as much a pre-plan, I don't think, this week. Anyway, um, we've done some. And I saw that we did a, when we did our immigration podcast, five points on immigration, one of the five points was the border wall. I was kind of shocked. Right. That I maybe remembered. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be very difficult to build. It will cost too much. It will likely be bad for some plants and animals. Many of the landowners who live there don't want it, and it won't make the immigration issue problem go away anyway. Those were our five points. Hmm. It will cost too much. Let's start there. <laughs> well, I'm sure if you heard following any of the mainstream news reports, I guess the Trump Trump side is saying it's going to be about $25 billion. Um, I see there's a story from MIT that says in its technology review saying it's going to be $38 billion. Of course, Trump kept bellowing all throughout his campaign that Mexico would pay for this wall. <laughs> well, now his people are coming to Congress saying they want federal funds to pay for this wall and they'll bill Mexico. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm just, it, it's just. In Mexico, for example, one of their main representatives said the other day, there is no way in Hades they're going to ever pay for any wall. So, and this shows, number one, Trump basically lied. Oh, what a shocker there. Uh-oh. During his entire campaign. Number two, I, I think it's just, I, I think the Republicans are really going to put box themselves in here, especially those who claim to care about fiscal responsibility. And then coming to the American taxpayer saying, we want, you know, untold billions to pay for something I suspect a lot of Americans don't want, certainly those living in border states. And that includes more than a good share of Republicans who understand the realities of living in a border state, something Trump and most of his sycophants seem to have no clue about. Those of sure. us who have also lived in border states right. see there's a much, much more complicated situation than just building a wall and that's going to stop everybody. Uh, there's the old saying... You build a 50-foot one. I'm sorry, I'm going to botch this. Excuse me. Let me start that again. Okay. You build a 50-foot wall, somebody's going to have a 51-foot ladder. <laughs> uh, so the, the idea itself is just uh, a thought with problems to begin with, but it's especially galling, I think, to then come to the American uh, public and say, oh, and you're going to pay for this, when, you know, it's obviously most people don't want this to begin with. Sure. And, you know, the idea of um, it costing so much is um, right. by the just the relative idea of what it is. I mean, we can talk about how long they have built things that are straight uh, or long walls and big walls um, and what it really takes to do it. So I guess now he's talking about a thousand mile wall, about the height of 50 feet. Um, that's going to ex- supposedly extend 15 feet underground, so it's so it's 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 enough to deter those who might want to tunnel underneath it. Although, as we know, in some of these um, you know towns like uh, Nogales or um, 
even in Douglas, Agua Prieta, um, Naco, even down uh, by Bisbee, there's cities and, and buildings that go through them. So it's a little bit different than building a tunnel, I think, out in the middle of nowhere. Um, one foot thick. Um, so that's about um, 12.7 million cubic yards. This is that MIT survey that we were talking about. Um, 3% of the volume would be steel rebar. So, um, and that's 2.3 billion kilograms, which you'd have to figure out how many pounds that is because that's easier for me since I'm American. Um, let's see. Israel built 320 miles of its planned 480 mile barrier in and around the West Bank. Only 3 to 10% um, of, the, of the portion is concrete, and it's 2.6 billion. Um, so if you figure two, a thousand miles, 27 billion to $40 billion. And then we have to talk about how it's going over mountains, which we know the terrain down here or water features or areas where there has to be things. We'll kind of get to some of that later. Um, but it's, you know, an engineering marvel. We also know how remote it is there. Um, so, I mean, that cost could be even, even a 40 billion cost might be playing it down, wouldn't you think? I mean, knowing some of these other things that we know about these areas, which I don't necessarily uh, know whether you could get it there. Uh, I mean, how do you get a wall over the top of a mountain? Um, I, I, you know, I, I just don't think uh, that's feasible. And I, look, I know nothing about engineering, all right, which... I mean, right, you can be... build anything, I think, if you have the will and the money, right? I mean, you can... Well, that's correct, but <clears throat> but I I just don't. Again, this this idea is just on the surface of it unfeasible, and just purely in terms of the building logistics and everything else, it would seem to be a pro a project that would probably take years to complete. Um, people may forget that sometimes. Yes, it's all well and good to want a wall, but how many years is that going to take? And by then, will the situation? that you're trying to either lessen, or the problem, I should say, that you're trying to lessen or prevent, it, things could be so totally changed about it that a wall might not even be worth the trouble. Sure. Uh, immigration, illegal immigration of this country has actually been dropping quite a bit. And I don't have a stat in front of me, but especially when the recession hit in 2008, because there was no more work, or not certainly not the amount of work for those who would come here illegally, and be willing uh, to do that kind of work. So, you know, again, the, the number of immigrants to this country has declined. Right. And as an overall, uh, you know, as an overall number, it has declined. Does that mean illegal immigration itself is necessarily a good thing? Well, no, of course not. But, again, the realities of a free and open society and just uh, it's it's impossible to say that people aren't going to enter in here um, through means that are not uh, that are not legal. They are, and there's you know there's only so much that can be done to stop that on a daily basis. Yeah, and we'll get to that. I mean, that's really kind of part of that. It won't make the immigration issue problem go away anyway, and we can talk about no, that at some not. point. But you know, as far as the costs, when we were doing some of the research earlier, I found I ran across a you know, and I you know. It's a Breitbart news piece, okay? So don't before you get go, you know going on me. But as <laughs> as we know, we have to look at kind of what other people look at. I mean, you know, sure. who, you know, uh, 
if you're only kind of you know surrounding yourselves with your own ideas, then you don't know what other people are thinking, and so you can't combat something maybe that you think isn't isn't proper. So you know why it's always good to read everything as much as you can, um, and you you know try to find the middle path by what you can debunk from everybody. But to not digress too much, so Breitbart's piece talked about how um, yeah, so the wall is still only going to be a portion of what um, Obamacare costs the government every year. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, speaking to cutting through it, then you have to say what kind of a dead investment. And, you know, I, I don't mean no puns intended with a dead investment, but, you know, spending that kind of money, spending 40 billion, 20 billion, 60 billion, whatever, you know, 100 billion, whatever it might ultimately be to actually build that, what kind of dead investment it actually gives you compared to some other positive investments that you can get from investing billions of dollars. So when you invest it in a wall that just tries to keep people out, which might, you know, some people might say it does, you know, it, it, it increases the economy because you have more people earning money that it doesn't get shipped places or, you know, whatever. Um, it can't, that's the only thing that it does is maybe give you some tax money. Other than that, it's almost like a dead investment. It's not like investing in people's health care so that they're more productive. It's not like investing in, even in military equipment, which gives you something to add to your defense. It, it you know, because we know that there's ways, we're not going to really have a massive invasion force running up from Mexico. It's to keep people out of want to get some sort of jobs and, or share in what was what going on here and compared to what's going on in wherever they're from. And, and so it's a, you know, it's almost like a dead investment. That's where it seems to me. I mean, do you got any thought on that side of it, on, on how its costs are even higher than, say, wasting money on Obamacare? Well, for all, to me, that's just, that's a ridiculous, and I, I'm not talking about you, but just that's a ridiculous sure. apples versus oranges right. argument. We're talking about two completely different issues, one versus providing health care for people. And, and I certainly had a lot of criticisms about ACA how it was carried out, and although I, I do think in the long run it seems to be, you know, it, it seems to have certainly done some good, um, but we're, we're talking about providing health care versus building a wall. The two are not related, and that's just, that's a really red herring argument that it doesn't surprise me that it's coming from Breitbart. Sure. Um, <laughs> so I just don't, I, I can't, I just don't give that any credence for legitimacy. Um, to me, it's ridiculous. Well, I, I, you know, let's let's say we've already kind of discussed uh, costs and, and 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 that effectively, um, and we'll kind of talk about them. I mean, I mean, that's the one thing about five points. Sometimes the five points have interrelated pieces to them, and I think that's what we kind of got to. That's our segue into point two. I think um, it's going to be very difficult to build, and we know what's what's there already, um, and that's where some of these cost increases go to. I think as well. And we don't really know how much it would end up costing. No one does. Um, they're all kind of guesses. Um, we did a story. It was written by, um, you know, as you know, for those of you who don't know from reading our, our, um, or listening to our podcast, um, we, Karen and I both met at a real close to the border newspaper that kind of dealt dealt with all of that down in the Cochise County, Arizona. Yes, we did. Um, and. The reporter that came through after after we left, and did you ever work with Jonathan Shackett? 
I, I know of him, no. I did not unfortunately yeah, get to uh, work with him. But he's a very good reporter. I've read a lot of his stuff. Right, so. yeah. And he, and he came to the Herald after Karen and I both left. But, you know, through yeah. through one way or another, he ended up writing a few pieces for Modern Times magazine. And one of his pieces was really pretty good. Um, um, you know, he did some real border stuff there for us but while, while he was between jobs. So the one that was in 2013, he really kind of did a, uh, a real good look at what the border fence wall was at the time. Um, ended up that it was about uh, the U.S.-Mexico border um, was about 355 miles of fencing at that time. And it re- not much has really changed from 13 to um, where the election season was in 2016. Um, so anyway, 200, 200 miles of mesh posts, 75 miles of steel beams, 72 miles of the old mat, which was taken from those um, old Vietnam and, and uh, other military operations that they used, um, and eight miles of chain link. So they're using old borrowed things. They're using just mesh and post. Um, it's still, though, you know, we could talk about what it did, but that's all they had is 355 miles. The idea was you used, there was rivers, there was other crossings, there was those 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 kinds of structural um, barriers that came up. Um, like uh, the mountains that we talked about earlier. So that makes, it shows the, the difficulty, I think, in, because of what it's, what's been done. I think they've spent more than $3 billion already on the fencing that's there. Um, and they put it in those flat areas. As we know, it's those areas either that were in cities or areas that were right outside of those cities and that, that were easy, flat area that are hard to get to and that people could cross at. Um, and, 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 and that was difficult already to build those others. So to build a 50 foot high, anywhere between 30 to 50 feet, it's going to be pretty hard. Um, and that's the other piece that we had. The engineer explains why the wall is so implausible. And, um, and also that Trump has supposedly changed his idea from the whole 2000 miles to a thousand because of the natural barriers. So you figure he's not building it over the mountains, right? But there's still other barriers that we have to deal with. Um, I don't know. You want to talk to one of those bits that I've... Well, it just it, it seems to me, I, for example, I, I read the article about how one Mexican group had an interpretation of, of what this wall could look like. Now, you, you know, you can't help but feel somewhat that there's a little bit of commentary intertwined in it. For example, it proposes there be a shopping mall plus a uh, uh, right. know, manufacturing plant <laughs> th- where prisoners would work to maintain the wall. Yeah, and this um, was, again, you know, this was a, right after the election, this, this it was an architecture group, right? Yes. And it's in uh, right. Business Insider is where we sent, we found yeah. the story, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it was, again, like you said, a pink wall with a shopping mall and a prison? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's just ludicrous. <laughs> on the face. It was just a ludicrous idea that, uh, and obviously that I suspect, again, this architectural group was making a statement here, one not in favor of this wall. Right, and I think um, it was, and, and the shopping mall was only open to the Americans, and the prison was only for Mexicans, right? Yes. Right. So, so this, this obviously, there's, there's sarcasm in here. It's, uh, you know, I, looking at it, I, I just, it, you can't take it seriously. I, and I, of course, I suspect the people who created this were not attempting to do that. Right. Uh, yeah, they did literally words, called it the prison wall, right? 
the prison wall. So uh, I, I just, um, you know, Deb, you've already covered very well probably the obstacles to doing this. <clears throat> I think you're asking me, I think, again, it's incredible chutzpah for Trump or anybody within his organization to now say, oh, and we're going to have this come out of federal funds to pay for this. Um, when he kept insisting throughout the campaign that there was, you know, there, Mexico would pay for this. Um, just it's another bald-faced lie this man has told. And I think, I think more than anything, just the building logistics aside, that's what's going to make this impossible to happen. It's just I think enough that people in Congress, even some Republicans who may be supportive of Trump otherwise, and certainly a lot of Democrats, never mind what the, Ameri you know, the American public might think, they're just going to say, no, we're not going to pay for this. Right. But, <clears throat> That's what it comes down to for me the most, is the cost. Oh, of course, and that's and and I think that's where we also talk about when we're in point two here with the difficulty of building the wall. It's it's using, you know, this. Uh, who was it that wrote this? In Na it was a national memo. We found it, and it's Ally Ali F. Ruskan. Looks like, mm -hmm. uh, which I'm sure some Breitbarters might say, "Oh, sure, you're getting it from a Muslim." Because but I'm um, <laughs> <Just> kidding. <laughs> Sorry, but um. I guess, you know, it has to be primarily, especially in the hotter areas, and if you're doing it in the, you know, you, you can't just pause in the summer, so you probably would have to go to precast concrete where it's cured somewhere and then shipped. So you have to talk about how far you'd have to haul these things in. Um, you know, probably would have to be from some area around Tucson. There's that huge uh, uh, concrete plant um, by Marana. Um, at least in Arizona. I mean, I'm sure in Texas and New Mexico and California, you'd get it from somewhere else. You wouldn't want to ship it. Probably want to have multiple sizes or multiple areas. But it ends up being, I guess, 12 million. Even if he's figuring only a 20-foot wall, I think in this one for for. But this was for for 2,000 miles. So 12 million 600,000 cubic yards. So if it then gets downgraded to a thousand miles, it's six million 300,000 cubic yards. Um, so about twice as much um, be, uh, as as Hoover Dam, and right. um, nearly the volume of all six pyramids on Giza. Um, so you know, a one lane road the long way around the Earth from New York to Los Angeles. Uh, wow. <clears throat> so you know. Um, we're talking about moving a lot of things. I guess, you know, some, some, um, there was a concrete guy that I think was, you know, trying to push this on people and some of this research I saw. And he said he, he kind of figured somewhere around 250,000, um, trucks of concrete. Um, even if you could do cast in place, which you might not be able to do, um, all year long, um, did, you know, depending on curing times that I'm sure some, some people would be fine with it, but you probably still have to do some sort of tilt up lay it on the ground, and then and then lift it up. Um, but as we know, the areas we're talking about, then you'd have to bring all that in there. There's not enough people. Um, unless you'd want to hire people from south of the border, you don't have enough of a working base around the area, so you'd have to house these people. Um, so, you know, I think the logistics of building something like that in such a remote area becomes very problematic because of all, all, all these reasons. Um, you know, there's not even adequate... Sewer. If you're going to make a temporary town, 
you know what happens if you put 20,000 people south of Sierra Vista, right? Right. Um, you know, which is by Fort Huachuca. Um, you know, there's a, there's a large swath of, um, you know, we can probably segue maybe into our, into our next discussion or our next point here, which is, um, well, let's skip over and go to many of the landowners who live there don't want it. Just the other day, and it was a, a, a mayor in a border town, and I it was I think it was near Brownsville. Forgive me, I don't remember the name of the town, but he was just incredibly down on the idea because, again, the economic situation as well as the human situation is just a much more complicated thing uh, for people who live there, and you know, they're not they're not big on it. Um, there was an interesting article on Fox about how in Sunland Park, which is a, a town I've been through more than one occasion as I lived in Las Cruces for several years, uh, which is on the border with uh, El Paso and Ciudad Juarez, uh, where also people are just, you know, you know, uh, admit, say, giving a lot of skepticism towards the idea of something like this. And that's a very mountainous area mm-hmm. uh, along the border there. So as we both talked about, you more so than me, the idea of trying to build on that, it, it, it's, it's just, it would be a challenge for engineers, to say the least. Um, and, you know, I'm just not sure how much it would even really be a hindrance or how much it really would help to stop illegal immigration. Yeah, I, that's, that's um, you know, point number five. And for sure, I think we're going to have to get to it at some point. But... Um, I, you know, that study that we talked about, I guess it was, there was a, a survey conducted on both sides of the border along, okay, Dallas Morning News, Crown Kite News, and Univision News partnered together to conduct a series of surveys in 14 cities along both sides of the U.S. and Mexico border. And this was, it's, uh, early 2016, uh, spring, um, of the 1,427 residents asked whether they believe the U.S. should build a wall along the border, 65% of people on the U.S. side and 75% on the Mexico side voted should definitely not. Only 14% of residents in U.S. border towns and 5% of residents in their Mexico sister cities voted definitely should. Yeah, I, no, it doesn't surprise me. It really doesn't. Um I, I, you know, I think just more obviously within Trump's voting base, there was big support for this. But I, if I if I had to take a guess, I'd say most of those people live nowhere near the U.S.-Mexico border. Right. And with all due respect to them, have no clue about uh, what goes on in these in these states on a daily basis in terms of trans-border traffic. Sure. Most of which is legal. Now, some of which isn't. Although, newsflash, there's illegal immigration between the Canada-U.S. border, too. But for some reason, people seem not to be so upset about that. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be interesting to see eventually how how it might, um, uh, you know, change the illegal immigration flow. Um, You might have people trying to get up into Canada so they could come through that way. I mean, it's, yeah, but that's a, that's a different discussion for different times, I think. But, yeah. uh, um, right. you know, the, there was another uh, piece that we found that, that, that uh, people were just discussing how they felt like Border Patrol actually did more ever than any of the fences that, that had ever gone up. 
that it's always that there's always people that there might be a fence put in, but they're still they're still seeing that there's immigrants hiding um, underneath their trailers or, or on their land somewhere. And so they had to come through. And the only way to really do that is going to be the men and women who are out there actually patrolling the area. If you want to kind of stop the stuff that I think border people really fear um, is, you know, people being um stuck not having any other option but to either take their property or to or to harm them in some other way. Um, that's a really, yeah, that's an extremely good point. Uh, and it'd be very interesting to see what those who claim to love property rights will think if that starts happening. Uh, and I'm not saying it's going to, but clearly you're going to have some landowners, if this wall actually went forward, say, wait a minute, you know, I don't want this, and I don't want you building it on my property. Right. So... You know, that, that's going to be an interesting little uh, conundrum for. Yeah, I mean, you know, they need uh, access or eminent domain, general. I think, at some point. Right. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, you have to figure that besides just building it and having eminent domain rights to squat on people's land, um, you know, they're also going to have to do other things like, you know, build access or 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 have greater access in order to do maintenance, which is one of the things we didn't really talk about when it when it came to costs is. You know, talking about a $40 billion one-time cost that also goes to, um, it's probably going to be at least a billion or two every year just to do maintenance on the thing. Um, right. Um, but, you know, as far as, the, you know, the landowners who don't live there, I think another important part of it is, um, you know, the Tohono O'odham who have, you know, thousands of acres along the border who've been here forever. Um, as long as there's been thought, there's been the Tohono O'odham that have been straddling the border there, and now their land kind of goes across both sides. Um, we also saw that story that happened in Texas where um, they couldn't put the the wall directly on the border because of international treaties. So, you know, for other reasons that we could talk about with environmental or why it's so very difficult to build, in, in Texas, mm-hmm. there's some people that are on the quote-unquote wrong side of the border or the Mexican side of the border, but they're actually U.S. citizens owning U.S. land but because of where right. they could build it, it had to. It was north of their land or east or whatever. Um, it was definitely not. It was so. They're in the U.S., but the wall is north of them, uh, above them. A lot of reasons for people, I think, to be skeptical around the border. Don't you think? Yeah. Again, there are just not to repeat myself here. There's just there are so many logistics that make such an idea. Just untenable. Um, that you know, you're not only talking about just building it in, in terms of the structure. And it seems to me, by the way, I'm just wondering. I don't see anybody in Trump's organization has come forward with an actual bad pun intended concrete plan about this wall and what it would look like, concrete et cetera, plan. so forth. Not that I've seen. You know, perhaps there is, but I I've just not seen that. Uh, again, this just is something that Trump was uh, constantly harping on during his campaign but with absolutely nothing behind it to prove that this was a a truly serious proposal. Um, But, you know, you're not only talking about building it, you're talking about and the cost, which, as we've already went over, that's that's another big problem here for proponents. But in terms of, yes, dealing with property owners and and, and what their wants and needs are and then paying them, you know, a fair market value for their land if they're going to give it up, never mind that, Yes, we do share a border, obviously, with Mexico, 
And, you know, when you're talking about violating treaties there, uh, you know, no doubt the Mexican government would not welcome that and would probably not cooperate. Um, that could, that could uh, cause numerous types of international problems. It could permanently damage U.S.-Mexican relations uh, to a point I think couldn't be fixed. Um, so, again, it just there are numerous reasons why this just is not a feasible or realistic idea. And then, you know, we're going to talk about what the environmental uh, damages could be here. And, uh, yeah, let's go to the yeah, let's go to the environmental impacts. But I, I also want to tell you that I think I've heard that the the Trump uh, idea is that a wall is going to be pink and there's going to be a mall and a prison. No. Right, because that's completely <laughs> realistic. People are going to go out of their way to come shop at a mall in a wall that represents closing borders. And guess uh, what? No, and guess what? Every so. um, the exclusive. Um, um, supplier of clothing and style is going to be uh, the Trump Corporation. No, I'm just kidding. I... <laughs> yes, with clothing and other products made in China and our, our other places. So, uh, yeah. Okay, I'm digressing. That's, that's I'm sorry. Yeah, a lot of inconsistency there, for sure. All right, let's be serious. Um, yes. It's not going to be pink, um, but it definitely won't be um, pro-green. Um, how's that for a, no. how's that for a transition? Right. Um, excellent segue, Jimmy. Excellent segue. <laughs> okay. Um, it'd likely be bad for some plants and animals too. That's going to be point four. And, uh, the environmental impact of the U S Mexico border wall looks pretty kind of scary. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, you know talking- we found a piece right from, uh, I think the one thing that we shared, um, between us was a, a, something done in 2007 talking about the Bush proposal to do more border fence. And um, the these folks from the Department of Interior and other places, I think, where is this from? DOI.org. Um, let's see what DOI.org is. Anyway, they were saying that even that was going to have an impact on 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 dozens of, of species. Um, right. And that includes 10 plants and animals that are on federal and state endangered lists, 23 on Texas's uh, threatened list. Um, now that was, you know, there's a, you know, this Art Newsweek article is about the border fence between Arizona, you know, which you've seen and I've seen between and Dallas, right? Uh, and but just that that just had an impact on uh, animal and plant species. For example, you know, if, if a border wall like like. Trump wanted to have built, uh, you know, came to be, for example, and I realize, uh, you know, this is just one species, but bobcats would be greatly affected because, you know, big cats, as we know, need hundreds of miles to roam, to hunt successfully, you know, give birth, blah, 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 all the things that they need to do to live a, a, you know, all the things, all of us living things like, right? Right. And, and if, you know, if the bobcats territory would be greatly affected by that, it probably wouldn't be able to survive. Um, and yes, bobcats play a pretty important part in the desert ecosystem uh, in terms of their predator status. So that's just one example. And again, it's a beautiful, graceful animal that I think for humans, you know, they relate to. Uh, perhaps other types of species don't so much, but never mind. It, it does not matter in that respect. Is all of these plants, animals, insects, what have you, play a role in the ecosystem, which also affects, hey, guess what, human beings. 
Oh, yeah. So there's, there, there's a lot at stake here. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of the things mentioned um, from, uh, I think it is uh, the National Wildlife Refuge. Um, I know, I, I know, I know some folks are just going to, you know, go crazy here, but the pygmy owl again, um, bighorn sheep, um, and could isolate yeah. small populations of, uh, large animals, including black bears and pumas. Um, right. you know, um, you know, like you said, bobcats, I think, but, uh, even javelina and some other things, but it's, um, you know, you just, it's just like you well, said, it's, uh, an environmentally difficult idea to, to kind of act like animals have anything or care about a border and um you know when you want to you know when you want to close something um you know small even you know when you talk about border walls and there's there's things that come up on you know what happened in east germany or other things we're never talking about doing it outside usually within the greater ideas of where the natural world exists i mean most of that was then just patrolled because you're kind of worrying about armies and so you just have you know, folks looking at areas, and if people come across, you kind of know it, and then you have to fight the war anyway. Um, and, and so it's very difficult to 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 talk about, you know, possibly having, excuse me, um, to talk about, uh, nah, um, having them not in the natural area, having them in cities. Um, where then it doesn't really mess up native and natural populations or grasses or things. We've already done so in in in, in, right. in cities. So there's a different <clears throat> feeling th- I think to it. Um, you know, and even in in the Great Wall of China, I don't know whether you know what that might have done. Um, but it wasn't nearly as closed off, I think, and it was built in such a period of time. We know that it's kind of. It never really worked the way that it had to, um, but you know, I, I guess that might be the only kind of way to study if anything would happen long term. Right, I, I agree, and I, I think another another uh, topic related to this. That now that I think of it, are you know there are a lot of cattle ranchers along the U.S. Mexico border. Yeah, um, and, and you know, clearly one can argue well that's you know because certainly there's no question that you know the U.S. livestock production has more than a few damaging effects on our environment. But at the same time, their livelihood could be greatly impacted. Uh, and that's nothing to celebrate either in terms of how, you know, where cattle graze, what they do, uh, you know, how far they, they roam on a certain, uh, you know, this square mile. And that's, that's also a very complicated factor that I don't think a lot of wall proponents are looking at. Yeah. You know, besides the, I mean, the other environmental impacts, I think, have to do with, uh, you know, flooding and water and how things move. Because it's just like plants and animals don't care, um, rivers and, and water doesn't care. It is flowing. That is true. Gravity is going to take water and it's going to bring it to its lowest possible spot. And, um, you know, it's another issue of trying to, you know, even the, the slats, um, you know, the steel, the steel, uh, slats they would put up that really were taken from military applications. Um, they would most of the time at least water could pass through them. You know, we're talking about a wall with a deep foundation. It's going to be very difficult um, for water to go through and also have that security that you want. Um, you know, we talk about in Texas. There's a huge area where um, where the river. Um, 
you know, kind of gives a natural barrier. But a lot of the stuff that happens in New Mexico, California, Arizona are flood containment for the most part. They're only really full when it's flooded, um, which makes it even have a greater, um, you know, kind of difficulty in doing these sorts of things. So, I mean, you have the environment of just basic flooding, which then leads into more maintenance um, when you have when you have a lot of rain. I mean, who knows what's going to happen through all of these things? And then how do you keep a, you know, a really a wash that's really only for flood control? How do you maintain its its ability to drain water, um, but also have it secure, um, it be secure for people when it's not that way? You know, those are some of the uh, details I think that just where where. But at the same time, it has to do with the environmental impacts. I mean, we only know how how you know, a, a little bit where this is going to really be impacted environmentally until you start really trying to build something like that. <clears throat> right. And again, I've, I've seen or heard nothing from wall proponents about how they would successfully deal with that because I, I suspect they have no solutions for that. They have no answers. No. And uh, it's, I guess do it quickly too. Don't slow down. Don't stop and talk about it. Let's just uh, go through it anyway. Well, so say yeah. all this can work. Say it gets built. Five point five is it won't make the immigration issue problem go away anyway. Um, so even if you build it, are you wasting forty billion dollars on something that's never going to work and it's just going to be a, a you know a, a scar? I think on the landscape. Um, the one piece that we found, um, who did that come from? Migrationpolicy.org. Um, and what mm-hmm. did and what did they found? They found that there have been more deaths, especially six thousand people have died in since nineteen ninety four. I think is what they're saying. And as we know, working there and also dealing with other things, the discussion comes to. 6,000 people dying, and you, we know we'd find them every spring because they, they'd either freeze of exposure up on the top of a mountain, or you'd find them in the summer dead of dehydration and heat stroke and, and just, you know, exposure to heat. So, you know, we always had those big times, the, you know, the dead of summer. So it usually started in the spring. You'd find the people that froze out there, and then it would go into um, summer. So, I mean, just to talk about that or the the increased difficulty that people are going to go through to either if they use these natural barriers they're going to be more trying to climb these mountains uh, because those are what the natural barriers are or they're going to be rivers so they might drown um and so you know it, it kind of also turns it into even such more of a um dangerous activity right, right? yeah i you know, to me, really, the heart of the matter, <clears throat> excuse me, in all of this is there's a there's a saying, we don't have an illegal immigrant problem, we have an illegal employer problem. Let's not kid ourselves. For decades now, we there have been numerous businesses and, and big corporations that have knowingly and happily hired people who are not legally allowed to work here. Uh, and, and, you know, until you have serious crackdowns on all these employers, Nothing is going to change. If someone's going to be willing to pay somebody who isn't here legally because they know they'll work for less, people will keep coming, wall or no wall. And in time, even if this wall went up tomorrow, yes, it might deter some people from coming over, but eventually there will be other networks and other routes that people will take to enter this country illegally. Sure. Um, and and that, to me, is really what it, 
it comes down to. So long as you have people willing to pay people to work illegally, they'll be here. Uh, is that a good thing? No, not necessarily. It isn't. Uh, and I think, frankly, uh, a president who had a really good plan for immigration in terms of, of getting people out of the shadows and, and getting them in, you know, make, helping them become citizens was George W. Bush. Mm -hmm. We proposed that in early 2006. His own party didn't want anything to do with it. Therefore, it never went anywhere. Um, I, I think Obama backed away a little bit from that idea, although was a big support, big uh, supporter of the Dreamer program. Um, but we, you know, we, we just we have not. I'm sorry to say this, we have not come to terms with illegal immigration in that way, and really coming up with the program that would stem the flow or at least, you know, lower the numbers of those here legally by making them legal, if that's what they wanted to do. Um, and a wall, in my opinion, isn't going to change that. And, and you know, and, and why should it? Um, the experts like, I guess we have, um, one of the pieces we saw that CNN ran was written by a David Scott Fitzgerald, who is mm -hmm. co-director of the UC San Diego Center for Comparative Immigration Studies, and yeah. Akos Ronatas, a professor of sociology at the University of California, San Diego. And right. they found that, or they, have, they dug up some information, um, academic research and independent assessments by the Government Accountability Office show that increased enforcement, including walls, make unauthorized immigrants stay longer. Um, and it, as it specifically was part of the, uh, or applied to the United States, it was mainly to avoid the physical risks and high costs of repeatedly going back and forth in clandestine crossings. So people who come and don't necessarily want to stay, but they're just coming for, for working, decide that they're not also just going to basically stay um, a inhabitant of their, of their native country um, and just come here to work and then go back when they feel like it or come back or go every six months like a, you know people that I had met when I was younger especially um, would do. Um, they would be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go back for six months or nine months, you know, and then I come back here and I work for three months and I go back home. Um, but they don't do that when it becomes harder for you to cross. You know, so I guess, you know, that's part of then you have more people actually living here. Um, and so if that's what your goal is, you're actually – um, making it harder for, for people to just kind of do a lot of the part-time thing. Um, and so if that's what you really you see as the problem. You talked about the illegal work um, idea um, uh, or, or that it's really a business's fault. It's a, it's a hiring problem. Um, one time when we met with Jim Colby for a, for a thing at, at one of the newspapers I was working at, I asked him, well, why don't we don't don't why don't we have a national ID card that that is you know a way that we can kind of make it almost you know nearly fail safe with you know fingerprint identification or you know chips or three Ds or whatever. I know we can make a fail safe just like a a passport is nearly unforgeable um, and very right. difficult and kind of cost prohibitive for people who are just immigrating. Um, you can make a, an ID that is that is that kind of level that you can. You can forge it, but it's going to cost you so much money that you can't um, on a massive scale. Um, and, and he just said, you know, hey, you know, people wouldn't go for it. But, you know, if you really want to stop it, it's the only way is that you can make right. it. I mean, you know, there's the thing in Arizona where they, you know, you have to do, you know, verify ID. 
Um, there's ways of, of stopping, you know, people being able to work um, or and really cracking down on on kind of the, you know, you would only really have the day laborer situation here instead of um, the other way around. Um, you know, where you have a lot of people working in construction using other people's social security cards or other ways, and they're not really using those sorts of means that we have. Um, but, you know, I guess, you know, that's really where it comes down to is that if, it, the wall isn't going to stop the illegal immigration problem because people are still going to find a way to get here, I think, ultimately, no matter how big your wall is. And I think it was your point that you made beautifully in the beginning. You build a 50-foot wall, there'll be a 51-foot ladder. Somehow they're going to figure it out. Whether it's really a ladder going over the top or not is a, is, is a whole other thing. Um, but right. then once they get here, you have to find, you know, if you really don't want that to happen, then you still have the same problem. If it is a problem at all, besides just being a little bit uh, xenophobic, which I guess can go to another, you know, a whole other discussion. Um, you know, is this really for that or not? Um, but... You know, it, it, it almost seems like you haven't stopped the discussion, which I think has to be, are you going to welcome people here or are you going to throw them back? And you're still going to have to do that here. And the wall doesn't solve that. Right. I, I agree. I mean, I think in terms of, I mean, this is a well-known fact that coming to this country legally and going through the entire process is a very long one expensive, you know, that's, you hear, and you hear complaints from people who've done it, while they're certainly grateful to become U.S. citizens, it was such an arduous process. I, I think there, there needs to be some creative thinking on how we change that, while making sure people who come here don't have serious criminal records or, you know, wish to do anybody harm or anything like that. Um, but, of course, for somebody just wanting to come here and make a living because they, you know, they're, they're coming from a country like Mexico where opportunities are just not, you know, there for people in, in the lower, uh, you know, economic rings, so to speak. Um, you know, they're just coming here to make a living, and all that that's all they want to do. Um, so, you know, but that, you know, that takes a certain amount of political courage that we're certainly not going to see from anybody in Trump's administration. And to be fair, I suppose the Democrats probably won't be coming up with a program like that. It's doubtful they'd get any Republican support. But it, it would take some you know, just major shifting of how we handle people who do want to become citizens here in this country. There are no easy, you know, there are no easy answers. Yeah, and you know the same arguments are made, I think, all the time on why um, you know us not having and supporting a strong Mexico, I think, or ending the um, you know some of the horrors that it, that 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 go on there. I mean, we know that there is what that busload of students that just that disappeared i mean um you know and taken out and killed i mean as for as violent and as horrible as things sometimes happen to be here um that's a totally different um game going on at least in directly in mexico and as we know not all the immigrants across are from mexico they might all speak spanish but it might be different they might be from ecuador they might be from guatemala they might be from anywhere but i think you know at some point you know you know being a student of history and you know lately i've been i've been I've been watching uh, Oliver Stone's Untold History of the United States um, that's on Netflix now, if anybody hasn't seen it, and especially those who, who don't really know much history, it might be a, a good primer for them to really kind of dig into things. Yeah. Um, but, of course, it's just a TV thing, and it doesn't really go all that into depth. But it goes in, you know, some of the things I think it talks about, and it's something that's recurred in, in, in my thoughts at times, 
is, you know, all the impacts that I think America and the U.S. government has had across the world over the past 200 years or so. Um, and, you know, usually when you do those sorts of things, they sometimes have a way of coming back and not being exactly what you wanted them to be. And one of them might be the Monroe Doctrine, which means we keep everyone around us in North America weak. Um, and it, it was done in different ways with Canada than it is than it was applied to Latin America. Um, but by making them weak and allowing them to really kind of stay in that path and, and even encouraging it at times, um, and not really uh, you know, cultivating any sort of um, uh, democratic or industrial uh, revolutions, in, in especially in Latin America, um, it, it, it created an issue where now no one really, if they want to make some more dollars, you're going to have to come to the, the U.S. to do so. Um, there's not either a thriving or a easy path to a middle-class existence in most of Latin America. And it's, it's, Unfortunately, it's, no. and it's what people are seeking. Um, it's what people are seeking. And, and, and you read all these studies and it, why it says it's not going to stop. And the tougher you get on the border and the better your economy is, the more people are going to want to come here. And they're still going to come here no matter what you do, unless you put like a laser wall from the moon to the earth <laughs> that will burn anybody. Um, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to do it and, and nor should you really. And I think, you know, when some of that stuff comes home to roost, you have to deal with it. And, you know, making, you know, I mean, and it'd be hard to argue. I mean, if you're a businessman, you want more, um, you really want these Latin American countries, wouldn't you think, to really have more disposable income and to have their middle class be built up because it gives you ingrown markets for them. They already know all the stuff that's, 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 you know, that they love from the U.S. And if they have more money to spend on it, you know, doesn't that rise your, you know, raise your bottom line? I mean, I would think it would have to. So, you know, I mean, I, I would, you know, I would think a proper businessman might look at it that way um, instead of, you know, you know, and, and, and making 40 to $100 billion, you know, available to some of these countries in different ways um, to really allow them to be um, self-sufficient. And, and, you know, NAFTA and some of these jobs we have talking and ma manufacturing jobs we have talking going to Mexico at some point would have just right. raised that middle class there and maybe made more people not want to come to the U.S. And so, you know, you know, I talked to, you know, Matt Hickman. I know you remember Matt. And at one point, yes, I a long time ago, you know, more than a decade ago, he had said, you know, the United States is just going into a into a service economy. And that's what it is. And, you know, you have to understand that that in globalization, you know, if you don't become a a, a the the industrial base, um, because in, in in globalization, if you're still the service base, if you're still basically all the people that just work in offices, you know that's just the kind of way that it goes. Um, and I'm not saying it's good or bad, but it's it's part of that idea is that you have to understand that you're by spreading out industrialization, it doesn't mean that you're still not having those goods. And especially when you're having free trade, you're not having to you know tax that anymore. So if you still have other sorts of jobs, and again, to get off my soapbox here real quick, because I know I've been gabbing up for a long time, but if you have that situation and if you allow it to happen, then you're not you're 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 boosting them and their customers. Um, and you have to think of it that way. And um, opening up China to our market to to a middle class market by them becoming Really, the manufacturing base is really in, in China now. It's not in the United States. And people are selling, we're also selling American products, American food, American goods to China. And I think it's about cracking them down. They have, they now have the income to spend on it. Whereas when people were living in the little hamlets, they didn't. 
Um, and so now that they're building our products, it becomes a different dynamic. And, you know, good or bad, right or wrong, you know, you have to all, sometimes accept the reality of, 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 the, of the global economy that we live in. I couldn't agree with you more. So blah, blah. I guess I could keep talking for another 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you summed that up very nicely. I mean, I, I, I think what you said about China is very true, and, and this is a country that until, you know, well, in terms of U.S.-China relations 44 years ago, you know, it, it didn't, uh, there weren't really any until Richard Nixon went there and normalized relations. Uh, and then, obviously, Deng Xiaoping in the late 70s decided to turn the country into an economic powerhouse, which it most definitely is today, for better or worse. Um, you and, know, I mean, you know, wouldn't it have been better for us 40 years ago to invest that money in Latin America and have them become our, the manufacturing base of the United States instead of China? I mean, wouldn't that have been I better think, for I mean, us in that, the long that's, run? That's a great thought, and I, I don't think anybody... You know, back then it seemed like Latin America was such an undeveloped area. Uh, so was China. A lot of, uh, you were correct, and you're, you're right. I, I, obviously, nobody had the foresight to realize if we weren't focusing on making Latin America stronger economically, that that would start to impact us, i.e., well, especially, you know, Central America and then Mexico, by millions of people coming here illegally because they simply have no other option. Um and, you know, you've seen today you have countries like Brazil, which has become a powerhouse in its own right, although last year and a half there has not been the best one. Yeah. Uh, they got the Olympic the jinx, economic... right? The Olympic jinx. Right. Um, <laughs> in terms of both its economic and its political fortunes. Uh, obviously, we you know, there's never been a big issue with uh, millions of Brazilians coming here illegally. Uh, or people from Argentina or anywhere else in that part of, you know, in South America. Right. Um, but again, the hindsight is 2020, and I, I think just 40 years ago how we looked at the global economy because of the Cold War and the basic struggle between us and the Soviet Union, uh, you know, I, I, nobody, I think, could have for, foreseen what was about to happen. Um, sure. and, and here we are now, and um, you know, it's an extremely complicated situation. But again, I'm just not sure a border fence is the answer to that. I couldn't agree with you more, Karen. And that's you know, I you know maybe we need to find somebody who can really fight this wall thing. Maybe we need to find a real wall advocate next time. What do you think of that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. We have to have him on the phone though. That's correct. I want to be able to hang up on him if possible, if needed. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Okay, our five points. I think we're closed. One, it will cost too much. Two, it would be very difficult to build. Um, four, uh, three became uh, four became three. Um, many of the landowners who live there don't want it. Um, four was it will likely be bad for some plants and animals too. And five, it won't make the immigration issue problem go away anyway. Karen, thanks a lot for joining me today. Well, thank you, and thank you very much to all our listeners out there. I'd love to hear ideas for them too on what. On what they think could be done to to uh, you know help this country's immigration situation improve for everybody. And for those who might want more information, we will have um, all the links and the things that we talked about today available on our website, moderntimesmagazine.com. If you find the podcast area, you can go there and then find this podcast, which was initially posted on Tuesday, January 10th. 
and you will be able to find the link in order to find all the information that we talked about. Thanks again, Karen. Talk to you maybe in a couple weeks, I think, with our next scheduled podcast. Good deal. I look forward to it. And the inauguration is coming soon, so we might have a special edition. Yeah. I seem to would merit it. But we have to both watch it for that, I think. True. <laughs> Thanks again, Karen. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Bye.